You're listening to Exceptions Welcome, the podcast for programming bootcamp graduates and other new or early career software developers. We're your hosts, Ben Wilhelm and Colin Miller. We're a couple of self-taught developers with 25 years of experience between us, and we met as bootcamp instructors. Uh, we thought there was more to be said after the graduation day. Today, we're talking with Meg Duffy. Meg is a coach who helps people working in the digital world build careers they love. She's sharing with us some tips and guidance for structuring your career change. Yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I poked around it a little bit too, and that's sort of like what started our conversation about what was interesting and what drew me to it immediately uh, was in there, we described it as a personal journey. Mm. And I thought that was absolutely correct. Uh, that sort of like your relationship with yourself is often like the primary thing uh, that has to be worked on first. I jokingly talked to Ben about like some people are very well adjusted and like good for them. Uh, but for the rest of us, uh, how do we get through uh, figuring our, ourselves out so we can make those steps in career? So, you know, some folks might get trapped by limiting beliefs around what they think they can do. Um, what they deserve. Imposter syndrome definitely falls into that category. Other folks might not have a clear sense of what they're looking for. Um, and it's hard to take steps forward when you don't have a clear vision for where you're going. Um, telling your story is another uh, tricky spot. You know, making the dots connect, creating a cohesive narrative that other people can understand can be really hard for folks. And even just the logistics um, of breaking down a job search and maintaining that motivation can be tough too. You might be struggling in one of these areas or the whole process might be a struggle. So it really just varies from person to person. Um, and I really, I, as a coach, I try to help people identify where they're getting stuck and suggest different tools and strategies and frameworks to help them move through those, uh, those sticky bits. What, what do you mean when you say that, um, the, uh, it's difficult for, it may be difficult for people to form a cohesive narrative. Um, what, what sort of narrative do you think folks should or could be forming as they're, as they're starting their job search? Good question. Whenever, especially when I'm working with bootcamp students, I always love to find out what their first exposure to programming was and why they were interested in it. And a pattern that I've noticed you know, I've been working with bootcamp students for several years now. I see a lot of people who were exposed to programming at a younger age and were interested in it, but for whatever reason, felt like programming wasn't for them. You know, maybe they told themselves a story about they weren't good at math, um, you know, the different stereotypes about who a programmer can be. And so for one reason or another, they put programming down and went off and did other things. And so as I'm talking to people about how they're going to position themselves, those origin stories are really important. Talking to people about what they did decide to study and why, and ultimately circling back to, okay, you're in a boot camp now. How do we create this through line between this thing that you used to love and now you're revisiting it? Um, that can be tricky, especially if you've done various different things in the past. If you were Know, a musician transitioning into development or an actor, you know, if you're going from arts to tech or education to tech, it can feel tricky to connect those dots. And so it's really helpful to speak to another person who has that outside perspective and might be able to zoom out a little bit and see patterns in ways that you, know, you might not be able to. 
Yeah, for a uh, oh. No, go ahead, Colin. I say for anybody who's uh, listening, you mentioned like arts and theater to tech, and mm -hmm. I don't have like raw numbers, but I definitely noticed that a lot of people who did make that leap from arts or theater to tech seem to do well. Uh, they seem to do really well in the collaborative parts of the programming, mm -hmm. which was really important. I also have just like a personal thought, which is like, uh, especially a, a musician or someone who's done some sort of like art has had to learn a thing. And like, it's not physically or conceptually identical to programming, but something about, say, if you had to pick up a guitar, for example, and not be good at guitar at all and get yourself to the place that you can play a guitar, that's like a good template for uh, picking up a computer and learning how to program it. The concepts are, you know, not the, the same, but the personal experience, I think, uh, from going from I can't do this to I can pick it up and sort of play you a song or I can pick it up and write you a a program is a very useful background to have. Absolutely. Being able to cultivate that mindset, right? The first time you pick up that guitar, you're probably not going to sound great. Um, but being able to really persist through those initial failures, I think is key, whether you're playing guitar or writing code. Do you have a good example of, um, a, a, you know, be it real or sort of contrived, uh, of how someone can sort of draw that narrative? Um, how they can kind of putting that sort of the two things we just described together, the, the, you know, where you've come from and how you've gotten, how you've acquired this skill, like how you can present that as a package, um, how you can present that as a narrative to someone that you're looking for a, a job with or interviewing with. Sure. You know, as I answer the question, I'm thinking about, okay, how do I, how do I talk a person through this? I think it definitely helps to have a sounding board of another person. Um, doesn't have to be a coach, could just be a friend or a colleague to be able to tell your story to. But if you are working through it yourself, I'd say start thinking about, start thinking about the things that you like to do when you were a kid. Make that list. Think about what you studied in school. If you've already worked, start thinking about those jobs. And start, once you have those lists written down, think about why. Why were you drawn to those things? Because as you keep asking why, you may start to see different patterns. Maybe the theme is, oh, I really enjoy making things. I like applying my creativity to a problem and creating something that I can see. Or maybe you really liked the collaborative aspects of things, talking about you know, being involved in theater, um, as a means of creating something. Okay, now maybe the through line through theater is I really want to work on a collaborative team where I'm able to talk things through. Or maybe you want to be a front-facing engineer, you know, who's engaging with clients. And so you're able to use those people skills and your coding skills. Um, so asking why behind the decisions that you've made can uncover some patterns you may not have seen before. How do you how do you take those patterns that you see and and say, especially for bootcamp grads, you know you're you're going up against plenty of people who have maybe more technical experience than you have. How can you take some of that and and take that narrative and and play that strength for uh, for yourself? Absolutely. I mean, I think it can be very easy to be intimidated by posts, especially if they're working in a different stack or they're requiring more years of experience than you have. And so I think it's important to keep in mind that, you know, you are bringing a lot to the table. If you've had any past work experience, if you've managed projects or people 
or if you've had a role that relied on your written communication or your people skills, those are big assets to a dev team as well. You know, they're not just hiring for purely technical skills. You have to be able to work with that team. And so you can highlight those skills in a lot of different ways. Obviously, when you're speaking to people, those are things that you can highlight. Uh, you can highlight them in your bullets of your resume. You can talk about um, how these skills helped you on the job and how you apply these skills to boot camp as well, right? So as you're going through and working on different group projects, you're bringing all the experience that you have from your previous roles and applying it in a setting where you're a developer. Um, so being able to speak to how you use those skills in a programming setting is really helpful because that's also drawing that through line from what you were doing in the past through to what you've been doing now and what you'll be able to accomplish in the future. Talking about like those those resumes and like finding ways to apply those other skills. I know something that I've uh, I'm going to phrase it this way uh, because I think it ties in. Like I feel like I've gotten better at uh, straightforwardly listing out the things that I've done be before or finding the 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 way to describe some prior experience or some job as an asset for a future job. But I think when I was not as, as good at that, I was almost like my worry and fears were around, does somebody want to hear this? Should I be describing is like my experience here worth anything? Hmm. Uh, do you have any thoughts about like, if I'm, if I have those experiences and I can tell them to myself, but I'm, I like don't feel safe committing them to paper and sending them to somebody else. Like what, what do you do then? can be tricky. <laughs> I've definitely struggled with that as well. Um, and something, something that I found to be helpful, I, I see this pattern a lot when I'm reviewing resumes, is I think lots of times people will frame a resume from the perspective of their responsibilities. These are the things that I did on a regular basis. And what I encourage people to do when I'm reviewing their resumes is come up with some of your big wins, right? If you someone were to ask you, okay, what did you accomplish in this role? What did you build? What did you initiate? You know, what action did you take in this role? Um, people feel a little bit uncomfortable at first framing it that way. But I think over time, taking that stance makes you feel a little bit less like an imposter, right? Because you're being asked to sum up your big wins, you know, as if you were going into talk to your boss about getting a promotion or a raise, um, you know, you're bringing your, your best information to the table to convince them. Um, and so I think that your resume will look a little bit differently. You know, it won't have maybe 18 bullet points, but the bullets that you have will tell a very clear story of here's everything that I had to do to get this win. It's a very dense, an effective way of saying, here's what I was able to accomplish here. And, and do you have any tips for sort of reading into a post, into a job post or into a, a company? And how do you sort of, a, sort of project that forward into say the, the interviewing or the, excuse me, the applying and cover letter sort of phase? Like how can you connect dots for someone who's looking at your application for how you might be able to perform, you know, have, have similar wins on their behalf. I think 
looking through the responsibilities that they're listing um, is helpful, but also being able to get a better sense of where they're struggling is even better because that's a way for you to frame your cover letter and immediately meet their needs. Hey, I hear that you're struggling with this. So here are the things that I can do to help you. Um, there are a couple of ways that you can do it. Obviously, you know, you will not always be successful in finding out you know, a company's immediate need, but if you're able to talk to someone who works at that company, if you're reading their dev blog and they're talking about different problems that they're trying to solve, um, if folks are active on Twitter, you know, do your research on the company and see what's going on there so that when you're sending out your materials, you're really targeting what they need and making a direct connection between here are the needs I know you have and here are the skills that I have that can meet those needs. Do you have any, uh, I keep harping on the, the examples, but do you have any examples from say past clients of, of someone successfully doing this? I'd be able to sort of flesh out this picture for someone on this journey right now. I mean, the piece of advice that I always give folks is at any stage possible, try to reach out and make connections. You know, you, mm -hmm. you create an opportunity for yourself when you're reaching out to folks. Um, a person that stands out um, for me, this was a person who I worked with a couple years ago um, who was transitioning into a new field, um, had a lot of skills, not a ton of confidence in those skills, um, but was very persistent in reaching out to folks, building their network, um, attending events, really getting involved in the community that they wanted to join. And ultimately, through laying all of that groundwork, they were able to tell their story, connect with folks, um, and get a job that was a better fit for their skills um, and also a better fit for them personally. Um, it was more of a long game tactic, but now not only does that person have um, a job that they love, but they're also able to reach out to different folks in their network and get help in that job as well. So they've got allies to assist them when they're not able to answer a particular question at work. I mean, that that is huge. The, the networking aspect of the job hunt cannot be understated. Oh, I don't, you tell me. <laughs> but oh, it, it cannot be understated. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't think I've... Uh, I've probably, probably one, maybe two of the jobs I've gotten in my lifetime have been re replies to job posts. Mm -hmm. So, so many of the jobs that I've ultimately gotten have been through my own network. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of people are, have this sort of fear and aversion to the the term networking social anxiety or any number of reasons that they they might not want to do what they consider to be networking and uh, you know there are so many different forms i think that networking can take i wonder if you can describe some of them that you've seen that have that have panned out well especially for folks who might be against the idea of sort of traditional like not not the sort of traditional extrovert Absolutely. Uh, as a self-described introvert, I can <laughs> definitely identify. Uh, it feels so uncomfortable at first, and I, I get that. But it does get better with practice. Um, and it doesn't have to take the shape of just going to a networking event. Something that was helpful for me was framing it as, I'm not just building a network, I'm building community. Uh, and having that shift in my mind 
made it feel like when I was reaching out to people and asking them about things or offering to help them with things, that process just felt more authentic. It felt less transactional. And I started meeting and reaching out to more people that I actually wanted to have in that community. Lots of folks that I've met through networking, once I shifted that mindset, have ended up being really good friends. Um, you can meet people at events. You can meet people in pandemic times online at events. Um, something that I've been doing is going online to Creative Mornings, which is a monthly meetup. They've been doing a Zoom version, which is obviously not the same as going one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but I've had some really good conversations and made some good connections through that. And it's been fun to continue building community, even though I can't leave my house at this time. <laughs> I, I really like that reframing of community instead of network. I, I think that that to me is always what felt... Uh, what I didn't like about the idea of networking or my impression of networking sort of earlier in my career is exactly that. It felt very transactional. Another thing that I had to shift when I was making that transition was thinking about the ask as an opportunity for someone to say yes to me. Um, there's actually a really great, now that I'm on my uh, Creative Mornings tip, there's a great talk by Jocelyn K. Gly and it stuck with me because she says that there's two types of people. So there's askers and guessers. And askers always ask, understanding that a person may decline. They're able to say no. And guessers only ask when they're very sure that the other person will say yes. And a way that that shifted my framing is when I'm guessing, I'm denying that other person an opportunity to say yes to me. And I'm denying myself an opportunity as well. And when I thought about that, it made it less uncomfortable to reach out to folks because I was able to frame it as, oh, this is an opportunity for both of us. The other person can always say no. More likely, they might not say anything at all if you're emailing them. Um, but you're creating an opportunity for yourself and for them to say yes. Um, so definitely make that ask. Yeah, I've heard that asker and and guesser thing as well. And I found it very like useful. I think I may be still on the, on the side that I like even being aware of that, that labeling and framing, I find myself very much in the guessing mode. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's when I can remember to, it's very helpful to, to remember to, to ask and remember that interactions can be more about asking than trying to like, trying to avoid rejection or the no, uh, by being in that guessing mode, you kind of create it a lot more. I don't know the way out of it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you're practicing it. I think that's that's something that we all have to do is really just making that conscious. Once you're aware of that behavior, you're able to have a choice in changing it, right? Yeah. Yeah, like having the label for that, that, that concept felt really important to have it noted that uh, that feeling of anxiety was around uh, trying to guess what how other people are going to respond rather than letting them respond. Absolutely. You've got a book. I do. <laughs> it's out <laughs> in the world. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, your book, it, 
what is it called? What does it do? Who, what, who is it for? <laughs> a lot of questions that I have lined up for it, but, uh, but please tell us about it. Absolutely. Yeah. So the book is called Find Your Way Forward. Um, and it is essentially the process that I use with clients who are trying to figure out what their next step is. Um, so it's a series of essays, of different exercises um, to guide you through thinking about these big career questions and just break them down into smaller pieces. Because um, what do you want to do with your life is too large of a question for anyone to answer. One of the things that uh, that stood out to me that seems relevant right now is uh, there's an essay in the beginning about um, procrastination uh, uh, being correlated very highly to perfectionism. Um, and that seems relevant to what we're discussing here about sort of the fear of rejection, um, the fear of someone saying no when you make a, when you make an ask of them. Um, and I wonder if you can speak a little bit about, uh, about getting through that sort of fear of not doing things perfectly or fear of things not going the way that you think they're going to or want them to go and, and to do what you need to do in face of that fear. Certainly. I mean, welcome to my TED talk that is my life about becoming a recovering <laughs> perfectionist. Um, I mean, writing this book was one large exercise in overcoming that perfectionism, right? You're, you're writing a draft and just getting the draft down on paper is an accomplishment in itself because you're able to share it. But there's also so much fear around sharing it because there could be judgment around it. And what does it mean about you? And what does it mean about the work? And so as I was writing this book, I really had to lean on my community to hold me accountable. I would talk about how I was writing the book. I would set deadlines and I would tell other people the deadlines so that they could ask, hey, how's the book going? You know, you're three weeks away from deadline so that I didn't get stuck in that place of, oh, I have to wait until everything is pixel perfect before I send it out. Oh, I need to have three more rounds of edits before this goes to publication. Because at a certain point, all that poking is not going to improve it and is only blocking the work from coming out. Um, so that having my community hold me accountable and sharing those goals was a really key piece in getting this book to publication. And I'd say it's also a key piece in your job search too, being able to rely on your classmates and other people who care about you to help you set deadlines and keep moving forward is key, especially when motivation is flagging. How do you gauge sort of intermediate progress? Like it, it can feel like you're, as you're looking for jobs, you know, you either have a job or you don't. And if it goes on for a long time, it's very hard to tell if you're improving. Absolutely. It can be challenging because, like you said, it feels very binary. You either have a job or you don't. Um, and I think what can be hard to remember is that there's so many facets of the job search that you ultimately can't control. Uh, pandemic being a great one. No one planned for it. Um, but also things like what's going on internally in the company. Are they hiring for this position and they're not sure what the budget is going to be? Can they you know, can they pay for that position? Maybe they have somebody internally that they're looking for um, that they just want to put in that spot. So it can be tough to not know what's going on behind the scenes. So I'd say 
as you're trying to track your progress and identify areas where you can improve, focus on the things that you can control. Um, I found it helpful when I was writing the book to break the problem down into smaller chapters. So instead of saying, I'm going to edit this whole book today, I'm going to edit the first two essays today. For a job search, you might be breaking it down according to the projects you're going to build, the projects you're contributing to, the outreach that you're doing, so reaching out for those coffee chats, uh, reaching out for feedback, going to events, being able to keep track of those consistent efforts that are part of the process can be more useful because they're things that you can control and there's also there are also things that you're taking with you over time. So you're taking that network that you build with you no matter what job you get. You're taking your projects, both the things that you launch and the things that you're contributing to with you. So being able to focus on that part of the process can feel more effective than, did I get a job today? No. Well, then I failed. So you mentioned one with uh, asking and guessing. Are there any other like labeled micro philosophies or even like particular people uh, who you think are really useful to and important to listen to? Ooh, that's a good question. From a, from a job search perspective, from a productivity perspective? Uh, I'd say maybe not necessarily directly i think like the the asking versus guessing is can be definitely applied to a job search but might be a more general life philosophy that could be applied to that mm. so it doesn't have to be directly about someone who who talks on their face about uh about jobs ser ser searching but just something that might be personally important uh that could apply to this or other parts of life sure yeah, going back, Jocelyn K. Gly is a favorite of mine, not just for that talk, um, but I've been a fan of her for quite a while. So she used to be the editor at 99U, um, which is a, a creativity publication put out by Behance, the platform. Um, she put out a series of books. She's also written a great book about how to handle your email. And then she went out on her own and his really transformed her relationship with work and productivity um, and has created a lot of resources and other um, materials to help people transition out of, you know, a culture of burnout, which is very prevalent in tech. Um, and I've found her tools to be very helpful uh, as I've launched my own business. Um, she has a podcast called Hurry Slowly, and she also has a course called Reset. Um, and in those materials, she really talks about framing your work, breaking things down into smaller pieces, and working in a way that is very sustainable. Um, so I find her to be a valuable resource, whether you're working or job searching, just as a way of figuring out how to pace yourself. Yeah, pacing is really hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> I have uh, at various times in my life gone through cycles of like awake for 36 hours and then sleeping for like 18 hours and it, it doesn't work too well. Yeah, it's tough to keep that up. <laughs> it's exciting for the moment, but uh, then you kind of crash. What have you seen in in the sort of post-COVID world? Uh, you know, a lot of our, our listeners have maybe started boot camp 
or finished bootcamp even pre-COVID and are now facing a job market that is significantly tighter than what they were probably anticipating. Um, and I'm wondering what you've seen as you've been working with clients in the last three months or so um, as far as trying to land jobs. Sure. I get this question a lot, mostly from students who are trying to get jobs. Um, I don't have a satisfying answer to that question because I'm seeing, I'm not seeing any clearly defined trends. I'm seeing people who have been cut from interviews because the job they wanted isn't available and that process isn't moving forward. But I've also seen people land first jobs, big level up jobs that change their careers. Um, I think if you're in a large metro, it hits a little bit differently than if you're in a smaller place that had fewer tech roles to begin with. Um, but one thing that does seem to be a bit trickier in this post-COVID, <laughs> ongoing COVID world is the motivation piece. Um, and I think it, my personal thought is that it's coming from a place of pandemic burnout, where people are so exhausted from keeping their home lives together, being stuck inside, that the thought of adding another challenging task to that mix feels insurmountable. Um, and I think it's just good to recognize that you know, we have been home for several months working or trying to work during a pandemic and that those conditions are very unusual and like nothing that we've ever experienced before. Um, so if you are feeling tired before you even begin your job search or if you're not feeling particularly motivated, you're definitely not alone. Um, it feels more of an uphill battle for folks at this time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll concur with that yeah. <laughs> from my own experience. <laughs> like <laughs> any number of things feel like an uphill battle right now that don't usually. You know, one of the things when I, I when I talk to current grads, or recent grads, um, they a lot of them say that they have trouble getting past applicant tracking systems, that a lot of them are, are trying to get their resumes through something that is matching keywords algorithmically on their resume. And you end up writing a resume that maybe doesn't totally misrepresent your skills, but when a human finally looks at it, it my impression, my experience of having then looked at as being that human that then looks at the resume is like, you end up writing a resume that looks like you have more experience than you do in a way that seems disingenuous, right. um, trying to get past the robots. And I, and I think that is a tricky situation that I don't personally have a, an answer for. And I wonder if you have any tips for that. Yeah, those systems can be really tricky. And I agree with you. You don't want to be, you know, over-inflating your experience. You don't want to make it seem like you're a senior engineer of when you're just graduating. But in order to get your foot in the door, those tracking systems are looking for specific words. I would say two things. You know, I don't have a perfect answer, but I'd say one for sending your resume through those tracking systems. A thing you can do is take the job posting and stick it into a word cloud generating tool just so that you can get a sense of the keywords that they're using the most and you can prioritize that language in your resume. Um, but I would hesitate to, I would hesitate to make that resume feel too inflated or too robotic. And so ultimately my advice would be by any means necessary, try to find a human for the coffee chat. Um, I, it doesn't always work, 
but I have had some folks be able to circumvent those applicant tracking systems because they were able to get a referral internally. And that's huge because then you don't have to front with your resume. You're able to put your skills out there. You're able to talk to a person and explain the why behind your move. Um, and it can make a really big difference. And how about uh, once you say you, you, you get your resume in and somebody reviews it and loves it and wants to bring you in for an interview, mm-hmm. what sorts of questions should you be asking yourself? What sort of things should you be stealing yourself for and against? And what, what sort of headspace and, uh, and practical tips might you have? Absolutely. I mean, the interview process is all about getting really clear on your story and your abilities. Um, and that requires prep time. You know, interviewing, same with negotiating, you want to get that practice in ahead of time. So being able to speak to times where you've worked on teams, what your strengths and weaknesses are, everyone's dreaded question, tell me about yourself. You know, lots of the behavioral questions that you'll see are assessing your ability to engage with others, to be able to speak up, to be able to share your ideas. There's lots of resources on the internet that can prompt you with questions, but only you can draw on the examples from your own experience and prepare some clear answers. And that's something that you wanna do ahead of time. You can make scripts, you can practice in front of the mirror, you can record yourself to get a better feel for your mannerisms and how you sound when you speak. And ultimately, when you're going in to have that interview, you want to be able to project as much confidence as possible in yourself and your abilities. Even if you're not feeling it, even if your imposter syndrome is raging, you never want to physically give the impression in front of somebody else that you're experiencing all that fear. I, I like your, um, your suggestion to record yourself. Uh, yeah. Having just, just started this podcast it's hard to listen to your own voice. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> but true. I, I remember, Colin, I remember you telling me one time when we, when we worked together, uh, just pointing out that, that the people who are at the top of their game are the people who review recordings of themselves yep. across all industries. Yep. Every field. Uh, comedians, sports players, you know, film and television actors. I know there's like, oh, who is it? Adam Driver recently sort of caused some hubbub for saying he doesn't watch his own stuff. So there's some people who try to draw themselves out of that. But I think for the rest of us, watching yourself is unbelievably powerful and unbelievably uncomfortable. Uh, Like it is awful to do so. I found it took me like two hours of watching recordings of myself performing, uh, doing, I do improv and I had to watch my myself for two hours before I could even actually look at it without just being like feeling like I was watching something like that I had to like hold my stomach uh, with pain uh, I just want to like I, I, I ramble on about this because I for anybody who's 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 listening like it's worth getting over that comfort that that discomfort if you have it which I many many people do uh, it's a huge resource it's so hard, <laughs> but it's so worth it. <laughs> I think what's important to keep in mind, even if you're looking for your first job, is that you're interviewing that company as well. And so you want to make sure that you're paying attention to the information that they're giving you and evaluating it. You know, if they, if this is a company that is 
you know, not aligned with your values or works in a way that you are fundamentally opposed to, you know, if you love collaborating and this role is exclusively, you're going to be heads down coding by yourself all day, every day, that's not going to be a good fit. And so it's really important to get a clear sense of what's the role, what's the company like, and does this work for me as well? Because you do have some choice in it, even if it, you know, even if it's a tight economy, um, you know, you want to get a sense of what am I signing up for? And so it's keeping that in your mind is really important because even if you do make a mistake, um, that that is not going to be the be all and end all of your interview. It's not just a one-sided, you're on the spot performance. I think it's also really important to remember that the reason you are there to be hired, the reason they are even considering you is because you will bring value to that organization. Yes. And to remember that you are actually the asset here, not them. Yes. Um, I I would always advise students as they were starting their interviewing process to, you know, have your list of technical questions. Have Find out about the code you're going to be working on and make sure that the work is being done to, to a standard that you're comfortable working in. Like, I remember getting a job where I was so so happy that they offered me the job that that I I never bothered to ask them in the interview like the most rudimentary questions that would have ruled them out so fast that I would have said absolutely not do I want to come work for this company <laughs> right <laughs> yeah a resource that I really like and I tell people to use all the time is uh, keyvalues.com uh, so it is part job board and then part a resource for interviews. And so you can tick boxes next to the values that are really important to you. So does this organization pair program, do they um, do test-driven development? Um, you know, are they doing regular code reviews? Are there opportunities to grow at this company? And it will email you a list of questions that you can ask in interviews, um, along with, you know, some specific framing as to how to get a good answer for that question. So instead of asking, does the company believe in work-life balance? You can ask, is there an expectation that developers will be on call? And if so, what's that cycle like? How responsive are people supposed to be on Slack and email after 6 p.m. You know, as just a regular protocol? Um, and that can give you more info than the, the work-life balance question because that's a tangible thing that you'd be able to go into the office and see. Yeah, uh, I, I think the sort of the last item that I would say is left off here is what happens when you're offered a job? Do you just jump in and accept it because you're so happy that someone offered you your first tech job? <laughs> I mean, it, it depends for everyone. So I can't say yes or no, you know, especially mm -hmm. given this economy, if you need sure. to get that money, absolutely um, take that job. But I think you need to be ready ahead of time before that offer even comes through and get a clear sense of, okay, what do, what do I want this offer to be like? Doing the research on your worth and what you want to get from that uh, organization is important. I actually think you should start doing it as you are sending the applications because it can make a big difference in your ability to triage offers and negotiate later on. 
Um, so as you're creating your company list, I'd say do a little bit of research. What is market rate in your city? As you're going through these companies, see if you can find on Glassdoor or Payscale or Pesa what they're paying their engineers, what they're paying the engineers that have the same title that you're applying to, just to get a better sense of, okay, what could they pay? Because organizations just have different access to capital. If you're applying to a nonprofit, they're going to have a different budget than one of the big five tech companies. So just being aware on what they can pay is important. And you also need to think about what you're willing to accept. So what do you need to survive? You don't want the salary that you're getting from this company to be the bare minimum. You want to have that range. And knowing those numbers ahead of time will prepare you for questions about salary when you're interviewing and will also help you negotiate once you get to that point. Do you have any tips for uh, the if the subject of salary comes up during an interview, how to negotiate that well without leaving money on the table? Yeah, I think being able to have your ranges ready is really important, mm-hmm. especially if you know what they're already paying developers. Um, make sure that your range encompasses uh, those brackets. So make sure that your your low point is not scraping the barrel bare minimum of what you'd want to accept, but that the middle of that range is roughly what they're paying some of those other engineers. Um, and so that way, when you're saying your low bracket and your high bracket, you're able to get something that falls um, either in the middle or slightly higher as well. Being able mm-hmm. to cite too that you know what market rate is, so you know if they're going to lowball you. <laughs> <laughs> right. And what what do you, maybe there's no um, sort of hard and fast rules here, but is there anything you can sort of read from if you give someone a range of your salary and they come back with uh, a number, what you can read from where that number falls in the range about where you might, whether whether that range was accurate, if you get another shot at this, should you adjust your range somehow? Yeah, I mean, I think your range should be pretty on target with what you're willing to accept. If you've mm-hmm. done your research right, your range shouldn't be grossly lower than what they're able to offer you, right? So if they're mm-hmm. say if you say, "Okay, I want my range to be, you know, between 75 and 90 in New York." Um, and they come back and they say, "Oh, actually, like we are able to pay like 90 to 120." Something's gone wrong in the research. <laughs> you uh-huh. know, you want to be able to do enough digging ahead of time so that there isn't a surprise like that. Um, But you can also deflect the negotiation question as well. Um, Lots of times they'll push you. And so that's why you want to have your ranges in place. Um, But it's also okay, you know, earlier on to say, hey, I'm really interested in learning more about the position. Like I'm I'm formulating um, a better idea of what I, uh, the value that I'm able to bring to the company through this interview process. Um, so I'm not, um, I'm interested in learning more about what the company is able to offer, kind of pushing it back on them as well. Cool. Any parting thoughts? Uh, it's tough out there right now, but <laughs> I think the most important thing is just take those consistent daily efforts to move it forward. 
job searching, even in the best of times, can really take time. It's not a judgment on you. It's not personal. Uh, it's a little bit trickier in pandemic, but it is possible. And so I'd say, you know, to, to Colin's point before about how pacing can be really difficult, that pacing is key right now. Make sure that you're setting up your schedule to be sustainable over time so you don't burn out before you get that job. That's good advice. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, well, where can people find you? You can find me on the interwebs. So my website is www.megduffy.com. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at futureproofmeg. It's all one word. All right. Well, thanks, Meg. This has been a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on.